uh, this is a gym, but I think it's a beautiful gym now that we've done all this work. And so will you help me to thank and show our appreciation to all of the men and women who have worked so hard to make this happen, please? So our plan is this Sunday, uh, two services, uh, and the way it's going to work, some of you come to the 1115 service, and so what's going to happen is this front door that you normally come in at 11, we're going to lock it, and just to kind of, because we're having children's church in the sanctuary, uh, so the only door you'll be able to get in is this door, and for some of you, I know that'll be a walk, and I'm sorry, but we're just, we're trying to make this work, and so be patient as we learn uh, the best way to go about doing these things. So um, this week two services. Next week is Easter Sunday. I want you to pray about who you want to invite to church. Uh, the truth of the matter is there's 36,000 people in this community. 3,000 of them may be involved in a church. A lot of them say they're Christians. And I believe that a lot of people are just waiting for somebody to go out of their way and invite them to church. And if you invite them, they would come. And so make a point, pray about it this week. Who am I going to invite to church? Invite somebody. Next week, we'll have two services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. The following Sunday, uh, we're going to go to one service. That service is going to take place at 10 a.m. Uh, following that service, we're going to have a family day. Uh, we'll have inflatables for the kiddos. We'll have some food trucks. If you're not a food truck person, feel free to pack your own lunch. But please make plans to hang out after service, and uh, let's enjoy some time together and celebrate the fact that we're all going to be under one roof, and we're just going to raise the roof in this place. And it's going to get loud and crazy, and just we're going to praise Jesus, I hope. Amen? Okay. So uh, today I want to talk to you from Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. As you're turning there in your Bibles, I want to make you aware of a couple other things coming up. This Friday is Good Friday, and we uh, take part in what's known as a Good Friday community service. Uh, that's going to begin at 1130 at the Water Company. We'll walk down Main Street. We'll carry across. It's a really a powerful opportunity. If you haven't done that before, please make plans to be there. Uh, it starts at 1130. We'll walk to Lighthouse Church. At Lighthouse Church on Good Friday, we're going to have a worship service and so I'd encourage all of you to, to come for that. Um, and I believe that's all my announcements. Oh, one more thing. On your way in, we have a, a, a QR code that you can scan with your phone, and it's a digital bulletin. So that will keep you informed, and that way all of you, nobody can say to me now, Jeff, I didn't know that that was happening. So it's on you at this point, okay? The digital bulletin, just scan it with your phone, and it'll take you to a link on our website and inform you of all the things that are going on. Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to hang out today. I want to tell you about the lost message of the cross, the lost message of the cross. Uh, images carry a certain significance. Certain images carry a lot of significance. And those of you who have tattoos, you know that, right? You found something that was so meaningful to you. You're like, I'm going to put this on my body, and it's going to stay there the rest of my life. And there's some really awesome tattoos. I've seen some of yours. My mom, mom she got tattoos of each one of her children and grandchildren, a flower that represents them in some sort of way. So it's really, it means a lot to her. Some of you, one of the most powerful tattoos I've seen is um, I've seen people get uh, on their, uh, a parent that passed away, their, their handwriting of like, I love you or something in their handwriting is very, very meaningful, very powerful. Some of you, if you grew up in the 90s, you probably have a tribal tattoo and you're trying to figure out how you're going to cover that up. So there's those two. Do any of you have an electric chair tattoo? Any electric chair? No, not any. Why? Why don't we? Because when I think of electric chair, I think of the Lexington Mall. Do any of you remember Lexington Mall? In the Lexington Mall, there was a sketch store right there in the center of the mall, and they would sell all sorts of like weird stuff. Out front of the mall around Halloween, they would put a man, light, like 
very realistic man strapped to an electric chair. Do any, did any of you see this? You wouldn't forget it if you ever saw it. Every 20 minutes, this thing, they would turn it on, and the man would come to life, right? His eyes would open like really big. Steam would come out of his head, and he would shake and make all sorts of like agonizing just noises. And it, it traumatized me. It was a traumatic. I had to sleep in mom and dad's bedroom for like weeks after that. I was 17 years old, you know, so that was a problem. But So we don't get electric chair tattoos, but we do get cross tattoos. And we buy crosses at Hobby Lobby, and we put them all over, all over the house. And that makes sense because to us, a cross means love. It means God's forgiveness. It means redemption. It means victory. And so it means a lot of positive things for us. But in Jesus' day, a cross for them the image of a cross is much more electric chair than it is decoration. And so today I want to lean into that a little bit. And I want to point out something that we often overlook, a message of the cross that we often overlook. So Luke chapter 23, let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and released one, they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. As they led him away, they see Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the women without children and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine, and, he said, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered him, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, close our eyes, bow our heads, gather in this place, because we long for more of you. And so, Lord, I pray that you will break our heart today for the things that break yours. Lord, mold us. I pray that you'll speak through me. I'm a sinner. I'm saved by your grace, and I'm trying to do the best I can, but Lord, if you don't show up, if these aren't your words, then they mean nothing. They'll change nothing. And so Holy Spirit, come and have your way in this place. Have your way through me. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and pray for the people around you. Pray for the people that may be watching online. Pray for the people that you know that are suffering, that are in pain. Lift up our brothers and sisters of Christ in Christ around the world that are under persecution. And take a moment, pray for yourself.
Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So just to give you the context, uh, late Thursday night, Jesus was arrested. Uh, he was betrayed by one of his best friends. They were arrested by the temple guards. The temple guards took him to uh, the high priest's house. They had a trial. Uh, he was falsely accused, but he was convicted of a crime. And then they handed him over to the Romans to be executed. Um, so as Jesus is in the Romans' hands, the governor of Rome who would pass down the, uh, the sentence, he didn't feel right about crucifying Jesus. He didn't really feel right about uh, killing him because he didn't see any reason any reason to crucify him. And so he was trying to get Jesus out of it. And so one of the things he did is he had Jesus beaten, severely beaten to the point where it's hard to recognize him as a man. And then he brought him back in front of the crowd as if to say, isn't this enough for you? Do you really want to kill the man? Look how much I've treated him. Look how badly he's beaten. But they, they refused. There wasn't enough for him. And so they cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so then the Roman governor, he brought two, he brought a prisoner and he stood the prisoner right next to Jesus. This prisoner, his name was Barabbas. And Barabbas was a known insurrectionist. He was an anarchist. He was a murderer. He was a thief. And uh, he caused all sorts of trouble in Jerusalem. And so he set Barabbas and Jesus, and he said, I'm going to release one of these men to you today in honor of your, your feast, the Passover. And so which one do you want me to release? And this is what they said, Luke chapter 23, verse 23. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud, loud voices that that Jesus be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and release the one they were asking for, Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder, but he handed Jesus over to their will. And so here, here's an important point that's going to help you to understand uh, kind of the lost meaning, the lost message of the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is exactly what the people wanted and asked for. Look, it says, uh, he... he their voices won out. Pilate decided to grant their demand. He handed Jesus over to their will. This is exactly what they wanted to happen, to see Jesus Christ crucified. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought. That's kind of the, that's the ground for what we're going to build the rest of this message on. Verse 26, as they led him away. Now, the they there are all the people that wanted Jesus killed, which is an alarming, it's a shocking amount of people. Uh, the Romans wanted Jesus killed because he was a threat to their empire. I told you about the Herodians. Uh, this was kind of a political group. They, they thought Jesus was a threat to, uh, to Herod, so they wanted him dead. Uh, the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead because he was a threat to their influence in Jewish culture. Then you've got the Sadducees. They were over the temple. They wanted Jesus dead because he was a threat to their influence in the temple. And even the people that Jesus grew up with, the Nazarenes, they wanted Jesus dead. You remember they led him to the top of a hill, they tried to throw him off because they were jealous of Jesus and they didn't like that Jesus was trying to tell them what to do. And so there's all sorts of people that wanted to see Jesus dead. Now, what was Jesus guilty of? Why were all these people against Jesus? Luke chapter 23, verse, verse 38. An inscription was above him, this is the king of the Jews. So Jesus' crime, and this is what the Romans would do, when they were going to execute somebody, uh, they, they, would, um, they would behead him. Now, if this criminal was a really bad criminal and they wanted to make a point, they would crucify him. Crucifixion was the worst way that you could be executed in the ancient world. And uh, part of the reason they would crucify people as an object lesson to every other criminal out there to make sure that they wouldn't commit the same crime. Because if you commit the same crime, this is, your, this is your punishment. This is what you're headed for. And so what they would do is they, they would crucify these people and in agony and pain. They're dying. And it's a slow death. It would take hours and hours, sometimes days. And over top of their cross would be their crime that they were convicted of. So over top of Jesus' cross, as he's hanging there in agony, read the inscription, this is the king of the Jews. 
So what was Jesus guilty of? He was guilty of making the claim that he had authority over every realm, that he was the king of every influence, every sphere of life. And so uh, Jesus' claim means if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not, Herod is not, the Pharisees are not, the temple is not, and you are not. People hated that claim. Because if Jesus is Lord, then that means they're not in control of their life. And they didn't want to submit to Jesus. And so rather than submit to Jesus, they wanted to see him dead. So that's what he was guilty of. And so they, they led him away, all these people that wanted to kill him. Jesus is, is exhausted from the beating that he took at Pilate's hands. Uh, the, the skin had been ripped off of his back. He'd been stretched over a whipping block, and they tore all the flesh off his back. His face had been beaten in. I'm sure his nose was broken. Uh, there's blood gushing down from his forehead, from this crown of thorns they've slammed on his head. And so he's exhausted from all the blood loss, all the trauma to his body, and he can't handle, he can't stand under, up under the weight of the cross. And he, he, he just collapses. The Roman executioners are like, okay, well, we've got to get him to the top of this hill. To, to, that's where we're going to execute him. And so they grab just an innocent bystander, and a guy named Simon, and they put the cross on Simon's back. Now, What's interesting about this sentence is it says that Simon walked behind Jesus. And so here's the image that's painted. Jesus knows he's going to die a horrific death, but he isn't dragged. He doesn't go kicking and screaming. Nobody has to force him. Instead, he leads the way. The Bible says that Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. He was determined to die on a cross for your benefit. Nobody dragged him there. Nobody forced him to go. He willingly went. And he wanted, there's a very powerful message that we often miss out that Jesus could only demonstrate on the cross. So let's keep, let's keep searching. Verse, verse 27, a large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. Now we read that, and what's assumed is those women were Jesus' mother and some of the other ladies that were the mothers and wives of the disciples. But that's not the case. Uh, another place in the scriptures teaches us that those women, they watched the crucifixion from afar. They never got very close. These women are right in the middle of the scene. So history tells us there's, there's a group of women in protest to the Romans, their influence in Jerusalem, and, and especially in protest of the way that they crucified people. They looked at that as inhumane. It was, it was uh, excessive punishment. And so they would show up at every single Jewish crucifixion, and they would weep, and they would wail, and they would mourn. These were social activists in the first century, and they were protesting the inhumane treatment of the Romans. And so Jesus turns to these ladies, verse 28, and he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, which is a generic title. Uh, it's used in other places in the Bible just to refer to everybody who's Jewish. All of you Jewish people, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Jesus says, don't weep for me. I'm not a victim. I am willfully, knowingly making this decision. And this, as awful as it looks, this is part of God's plan and purpose. Don't, don't weep for me. Instead, weep for yourself and your kids. Don't feel sorry for me, Jesus says, at the sight of what you're about to see, this heinous act, you should feel bad about yourself. Which again, points to the lost meaning of the cross. Verse 29, look, the days are coming. This is why you should weep. This is why you should wail. This is why you should cry for yourself. The days are coming when they will say, blessed are the women without children and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. On the way to the cross, 
one of Jesus's last statements. It isn't about the love of God. It isn't about the forgiveness of God. It isn't about the atonement of God, which the cross means all of those things. And all those things are powerful and all those things are beautiful. But as Jesus was going to the cross, he wanted you, he wanted these women, he wanted all the people to understand this. He pronounces a judgment on humanity. He's saying, the cross is happening because of you. Jesus says, you are stuck in a wicked way of being human that leads to such a life that you'd, you'd wish that you'd never had children, that leads to such a life that you wish a meteor would fall on your head. You wish that you'd never been born. You wish that you would die. There's a system, this dysfunctional, this destructive system that leads to this terrible existence. Luke says it, or Jesus says it this way in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 and following. As he approached and saw the city, Jerusalem, Jesus wept over it, saying, if you knew this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst, because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Jesus is pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem. He said Jerusalem is going to be destroyed 80, 70, 40 years later. The Romans come. They build a barricade. They siege the city of Jerusalem. They build a barricade, and all sorts of terrible things start happening there. And uh, the people are in such a terrible situation that they all wish they'd, they'd never had children. They wish they'd been dead. And uh, the reason Jesus says that happens is because God visited you he pronounced peace. He said, I, I want to bring you peace. And you didn't recognize God for who God was. You didn't respect God. You didn't honor God. And said you cursed God. And because you cursed God, then destruction came upon you. What was true of the Jews then is true of all of us in America today. That God has come to us in undeniable, unmistakable ways. And as clearly as he could communicate to all of us, he has pronounced peace. He says, I come to bring you peace. And many of us, we hear the message of God. We reject God. Here's the pattern. We reject God. We refuse to see God for who he is. And as a result, evil builds around us. It starts to overtake us. It starts to overwhelm us to the point that we can't fight against evil anymore, and it leads to our destruction. Luke chapter 23, verse 31. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus says if this wicked system, this wicked way of being human, if it does these kind of things now, in a time of prosperity and peace, there's no, there's no war in Jerusalem. There's no famine in Jerusalem. The people are well-fed, and, and, and they still do this terrible thing that's about to happen. If they do it now when there's peace, what will they do when there's famine? What will they do when it's war? What, what will they do when the wood is dry? Jesus says, if they do this to me, you remember, I came into town like a king. Everybody loved me. Everybody was praising my name when I came into town on Sunday. And, and, and then I went to the elders, to the elites, and I put them in their place. They couldn't stand up against me. Nobody dared to question me anymore. And then they took me to the Roman governor. They arrested me and wrongfully accused me. And they took me to the Roman governor, and he couldn't find anything to accuse me of. And yet still, I'm going to end up on a cross, and I'm going to die a painful death. If they do this to me, what will they do to you? What will they do to your children? What will they do to the helpless people of the world? What will they do to this, this creation that God's given us? What are the characteristics of this dysfunctional and destructive subhuman way of living? Verse 32, two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him. 
When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. So they had three crosses prepared for three criminals. The third criminal was Barabbas. It was Barabbas, and you know the governor, he sets Jesus up against Barabbas. He says, okay, I'm going to let one of them free. And the people, shockingly, they say, well, we, we want you to let free Barabbas. Give us the murderer, and you kill the miracle worker. You see, this, this is what the subhuman way, the selfish, the sinful, the dysfunctional, the destructive way of being human, this is what it'll do. It'll, it'll encourage people to exchange the goodness of God for that which will destroy them. Isn't that what we see all throughout the Bible? The goodness of the garden is exchanged for the lure of deadly fruit. The truth of God for the destructive lie. The worship of the living God for the allegiance of things made by human hands. We're living in an age right now that we've exchanged the beauty of marriage for the deviancy of sexual freedom. We've exchanged the dignity of hard work for the dependence on a welfare state. We exchanged, many have exchanged the love of a family for the dopamine of drugs and alcohol. They exchanged the son of God for the son of anarchy. Verse 34 Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. They punched him and they hit him over the head with a staff and they they forced a crown of thorns on him and, and they stripped him naked and they ripped all the flesh off of his back. And now they've stretched his arms out and they've driven nails through his wrists and through his feet. And they're, they're scoffing at him, and they're spitting on him, and they're cursing him. And all the while, what does Jesus do? He doesn't curse these people that are bringing all this pain on him. What does he do? Instead, he prays for them. He asks that Father God will forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And how do they respond to such kindness? How do they respond to such compassion? They divided his clothes and cast lots. The dysfunctional, the destructive system that many of us are trapped in It pays back good with evil. You've heard it said, no good deed goes unpunished. You've you've heard it said, the last guy finishes last. You've heard it said, trust no one. These are all statements to live by in the broken, in the fallen world that we're living in, isn't it? Many of you have fallen into that same thing because you know you're going to put your heart out there and you're going to do good things for people and a lot of people are going to take advantage of you. You know you're going to put your heart out there and you're going to do good things for people and some people are evil and they're going to give you bad back for all the good that you gave them. I talked with a guy the other day. He faithfully worked his job for 15 years. Overtime. Goes in on his days off to help out. Back pain, headaches. How did his company pay him back for the faithfulness, the dependency over 15 years? When things got hard, they gave him a pink slip. I talked to a lady. She gave her children who gave her husband beautiful children in a gorgeous home. For years and years and years, she treated him like a king, waited on him hand and feet. How did she get repaid? Her husband had an affair and gave her divorce papers. We're living in a world that so often pays back evil for the good that's given out. Verse 35, the people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. This is a disgusting scene. I want you to think about this large crowd is assembled to watch the execution as if it's entertainment. This was a common practice. They would bring their kids to these executions. They'd pack a sack lunch. 
There was something about seeing a man dying on a cross that, that validated them, that made them feel more than. And so they would come, and they would do that. And then you've got the leaders, and they're scoffing at Jesus. And I want you to see, I want you to hear what they're saying and how evil this is. They say, he, he saved others. They acknowledge that Jesus did good. Everywhere he went, things got better. He healed people. He delivered people. He restored people. He brought sinners back into a, a place of restoration. Every place he went, things got better. And so they say of Jesus, he did good. He was a savior, and so let him die alone on a cross. He went and he benefited everybody that he ever came in contact with. We're glad to see him hanging there on a tree. How evil is that? Think about it. This subhuman way of living, this dysfunctional, this destructive pattern of life, it will call evil good. We're living in a world that says churches burning to the ground is a positive thing for society. We're living in a world where men in dresses participating in women's sports is considered brave and beautiful. We're living in a world that teaches people of color to hate white people and white people to hate themselves, and we call it education. We're living in a world where rioting and looting is peaceful protesting. We're living in a world where killing babies is called reproductive justice. He's a savior. We're glad to see him suffering on a tree. It's evil. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. See, this is the system that we're, we're trapped in, that we're surrounded by. It's subhuman. It's dysfunctional. It's destructive. It leads to a terrible place. But, but we are all kind of stuck in this pattern of doing things. One of the things this system will do, it dishonors the divine. It mocks the majestic. Jesus was worthy of a golden crown. They gave him a crown of thorns. Jesus was worthy to sit on the throne. Instead, they nailed him to a cross. Jesus was worthy to be praised, and instead, they punched him. Jesus was worthy of worship, and yet they whipped him. Jesus was worthy of the finest robe, and yet they stripped him naked. Jesus was worthy to be glorified, and they humiliated him. Jesus was worthy to be the king of kings, and they killed him. This fallen world that we live in, this pattern, subhuman pattern of living, it spits on the sacred. It infuriates me to see the way that they depict our Lord and Savior in movies, in cartoons, in TV shows. Have you ever picked up on this? They, they present our Lord and Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the, the God of all creation, the God of glory. They present him, the holy of holy of holies. They present him like he's a buffoon like he's weak, like he's a punk, like he's something less than. We have people that use Bible as toilet paper. We have people that they delight and turn sanctuaries into strip clubs. The sanctity of human life is a joke to so many in our world. I saw a video on, somebody sent me a TikTok of this, this woman, and she's holding up a positive pregnancy test and there's somber music playing in the background and you can tell she's got a sad and angry face on and then the music it flips to a happy tune and all of a sudden she's cackling and she's smiling as she's punching herself in the womb with the caption reading abortion scheduled for tomorrow there's nothing sacred in our world any longer mock the majestic 
dishonor the divine. They mocked our Messiah. Verse 40, but the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God? Since you're undergoing the same punishment, we're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus was more than innocent. Jesus was the perfect man. Jesus was God in the flesh. Even the most angry atheist today has to admit that Jesus is the most influential person who's ever lived. Our days are marked in relation to his. More books and songs and art is inspired by Jesus Christ than any other person. To this day, his words carry more weight than anybody else's words. Every year, we set aside an entire month to celebrate his arrival on the planet. More good has been done in his name than all other names combined. Two billion people today, 2,000 years later, two billion people worship him as Lord. Why? Because at the very least, even if you reject everything supernatural, even if you don't believe there's a God, at the very least, Jesus was the model man. At the very, very least, Jesus was the, fi- the highest form of human the world has ever seen. He was the personification of the greatest good. No other man is worthy of the honor and the glory and the praise the way Jesus is. He was the light of the world. He was the living water. He was the bread of life. He was the hope of humanity. He was the best of us. He was the best we've ever seen. Even if you reject him as God, you have to admit that. And they betrayed him. And they arrested him. And they falsely accused him. And they wrongfully convicted him. And they unjustly sentenced him. And they publicly shamed him. They violently beat him. And they tortured him to death. All the while, the perfect man endured it without objecting one word. Like a lamb led to slaughter, Jesus walked to his death. Why? He wanted you to see something. He wanted you to see that cross. He wanted you to see the crown of thorns. He wanted you to see all the blood flowing down his face. He wanted you to see the nails. He wanted you to see the spear in his side. He wanted to see him struggle for every single breath. He wanted you to see his torture and his murder. The perfect man brought to ruin. The son of God humiliated. The savior of the world destroyed. He wanted you to see this is what happens when you have your way in the world. The cross is what happens when you exchange life for death, when you call evil good, when you pay back good for evil, when you spit on the sacred, it'll lead to you crucifying the Christ. This is where your sin leads. You get that. All the little things that you come in here and you know you're carrying with you every Sunday and you're like, yeah, I know I do that, but not that big a deal. Could be worse. I could be a murderer. I could be a thief. I could be like them. But all the while, you know you have these things in your life and you keep them there. You allow them. This is where your gossip leads. This is where your greed leads. This is where your gluttony leads. This is where your lying leads. This is where your lust leads. 
Every time you look at pornography, this is where it leads. It leads to a world where this happens. It leads to a world where they crucify the perfect man in selfishness and pride, where they they put a murderer and the Messiah side by side, and you pick the murderer instead of the Messiah because you don't want to submit to him. This is where it leads. All your sin. It leads there. It leads there because with every sin, you are partnering with the same spirit that nailed Jesus to a tree. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Peter's preaching after Jesus is risen from the dead, ascended to heaven. There's thousands of people there in the streets, and Peter says this, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You say today, well, I didn't, I didn't do anything. To, I didn't nail Jesus to the tree. If I was there, I would have done things differently. Oh, yeah? I'm sure the people there on Pentecost Sunday, they weren't there on the tree. They weren't there on Calvary either that day Jesus was crucified. But Peter said it was your sin that lead, led Jesus to be crucified. The same spirit of disobedience that nailed Jesus to the cross and celebrated his suffering is at work in each and every one of us. Every little sin is partnering with a demonic spirit. Every little sin is ushering in a world where this is the norm, where this is acceptable to your destruction. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4 and following. It's impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the power of the coming age and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm, They are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. There is no hope for a person who continues in this dysfunctional system knowing this is where it leads. It leads to the cross. It leads to the Savior suffering, knowing this is where it leads, and they continue in that dysfunctional system. They continue to live in a subhuman way. There is no hope for a person like that. At this point, after this message, listen to me. You living in known willful sin is the same as you saying, I'm glad they nailed Jesus to a tree. For you to continue after this message to live in known willful sin is the same as saying, I hope that Jesus dies and goes to hell. It's the same as you saying, if I was there that day, I would pick up the hammer myself and I would drive it right through his wrist, those nails. It's the same as you saying, I'm glad he died. And I'd do it again. May it never be said of us. Refuse to usher in hell. Refuse it. Refuse to partner with Satan. Refuse to bring shame to your Savior. Instead, be like the thief on the cross. He was hanging next to Christ, a murderous thief. He self-admittedly fully deserved all the punishment he was getting. Every one of the gospel writers, they make it a point to name this person as a bad man. Jesus was the good man. He was the perfect man. This man was the epitome of evil. But he saw the Savior suffering, and it changed him. To the point that he said this, and I hope you make this your plea today, verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In his final moments, this man, this evil man, he switched allegiances. He says, I see now where this dysfunctional, this subhuman system, this way of living, I see where it, 
where it leads, and I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I am embarrassed that I was ever a part of that, and I deserve exactly what I'm getting. But Jesus, will you please have mercy on me? And when you get to your kingdom, will you remember me? Will you let me in? He asked for me. He said, I'm so sorry. I hate that I was ever a part of that. I don't want to be associated with that anymore. I want to be associated with you. Listen to Jesus' response. Especially if you're here today and you're carrying guilt and shame, you feel like you're so far from God because of all the sins that you've committed and you can never be restored again. Look at what Jesus said to this man. Verse 43, truly, truly, you can count on this. You can know that you can know that you can know. Truly, today, not after you pay back all the sins that you've committed, this man is on a cross. He only has a few hours of life left. There's no way that he can pay restitution for all the sins that he's ever committed in his life. Jesus says, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Friends, listen, you don't have to live like hell anymore. You don't have to partner with hell anymore. You don't have to carry around all that guilt and all that shame and all that regret. Today, you can have a new life. Today, you can become a citizen of heaven. Today, you can become a child of light. You can be forgiven, accepted, and adopted into the family of God. You can live for the very first time a truly human life, a life that resembles Jesus Christ, a life that ushers in heaven as opposed to ushering in hell. Because the cross is also proof of this, that no matter what, good will conquer evil. The light is more powerful than darkness. God's grace is greater than your sin. Because what the enemy meant for evil, God has used for good. Don't miss this. To the point that we look at a torture device, a device that used to bring up images of pain and despair and humiliation and agony and fear and death. Now we look at this torture device and we don't see any of that. Instead, we see love, we see forgiveness, we see grace, we see mercy, we see victory over the darkness. If God can change the tor- torture device into a device of victory, then can he change anything and everything in your life? There is power in the blood of Christ. There is forgiveness at the cross, and there is new life in Jesus' name. Disown the system of dysfunction and destruction. Flee from temptation Resist the evil one. Throw off every sin that entangles you. Set your eyes on Christ, the perfect man. Imitate him, the son of God and the savior of the world. And he will use you to push back the darkness and usher in a new way of life. A way of life that God intended for us to live from the very beginning. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll use this word. Holy Spirit, I pray that all these words will be received by a heart that's receptive. Please, Lord, have your way in these next moments that we might be made right with you. This is your plea to us. You've come, you've come near to us, Lord. You've visited us with peace to bring us peace. Help us to not leave from this place being confused or our eyes hidden as to where peace is found 
where hope is found, where love is found, where joy is found, where life, true life is found. It's only found in you. Everything else leads to destruction. Everything else leads to dysfunction. Only in you can we find life. Help us to see that today, Lord. Help us to apply that truth. Help us to believe it with all of our heart and be changed forever because of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of celebration, a song of remembrance. In the back of our worship center, there are tables that have communion elements. Those elements are to remind you of the body and blood of Christ, body that was broken for you, the blood that was spilled for you. As you take that communion, be reminded today that the evil, evil one tried to have his way with Jesus, but in the end, Jesus was more powerful. He took everything that the enemy had for him, and it wasn't enough to destroy him. And so if you want life eternal, it's only found in Christ. Take that communion today and be reminded that in Jesus' name there is life, there is victory, there is hope. If you're here today and you're carrying a heavy burden, you can come and kneel at one of these altars, one of our prayer warriors will pray over you. And if you're here today and you're far from God, you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ as your king, let me me tell you something. It's the best decision I ever made in my life. Amen? And I didn't realize until I surrendered to him that I wasn't living. I was a dead man walking. And I wasn't making the world better. I was making the world worse. Because in the end of the day, it was all about me. But the moment I surrendered my will to Christ, that's when I learned what life's all about. That's when I was filled for the very first time with purpose, peace, joy, and hope. It's things that the world can't give you. You will not find it any place else but at the feet of this cross. So if you're far from him, please come. Speak with me today. Let me tell you about your next steps. Come as we sing this song.